Welcome, everybody, to the latest, latest uh, podcast called We Talk Photo. And this is all about photography, um, nature, travel photography. We don't get highly technical here, but today we might because we've got a special guest, uh, someone that I've known for a long time that does all of my printing when I uh, do print on on metal or aluminum, whatever you want to call it. Mr. Josh Lutz from Magnachrome. Magnachrome is in California. Uh, they are, in my opinion, the preeminent uh, folks that uh, that do metal uh, or aluminum printing. Josh, welcome. Hey, Jack. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah, no- of course, we have John Peterson here. I'm sorry, John, I didn't mean to leave <laughs> no, you like, out. But. Yeah, I'm just a technical guy in the background. Yeah, John's. Uh, I think John's probably sobered up from last night, yeah. and uh, he uh, he uh, picked himself up from the front lawn, and and we're ready to go with another great podcast for you all. Good morning, everybody. Sorry about that, John. I didn't mean to. No, it's to all slight. good, Jack. It's all good. Uh, if you had to throw someone under, under the bus, I appreciate it being John. So. Yeah, no, John's John's. Uh, I'm really only kidding. John uh, drinks a lot of orange juice and, and <laughs> diet coke. I think that's the extent of John's. Orange juice and water at this point. That's it. Anyhow, Josh, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking time. I know how busy you guys are down there. And uh, and uh, why to begin with, um, why don't you just give us a little background on Magnachrome and uh, let let everybody know where you started, how you started, and and the whole uh, the whole ball of wax, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So. About 12 or 13 years ago, my my father was really the one that started this whole thing. Um, And he started doing this uh, around the same time as Image Wizards Wizards on the East Coast. Uh, We we started at almost identical times about 12, 13 years ago. My father uh, built his heat press. Uh, Roger Loudy from Image Wizards uh, bought a heat press from overseas. And uh, we've been, you know, both of us going strong ever since. Uh, When we first started the company... It really was uh, interesting, and in that no one else was doing it. Uh, it was nobody had heard about metal prints. It was a new phenomenon, and we we were getting calls almost every order. People receiving their images, going, "Wow, I've never seen anything like this. This is just the most amazing product ever." Um, we we still get those calls, um, you know, but it's it's a little different uh, than it used to be. But that was kind of the, the beginnings of the business. And over time, uh, we've really amped up frames and, and color fidelity and shipping, and uh, really gotten into a good position to be able to create these at uh, what I feel is the the, the best the best they possibly can. So your dad was really you know one of the pioneers of the of the metal uh, printing process, correct? He absolutely was, yeah. And a lot of people ask me if he invented the process, and it would be very unfair to say that he invented it, though it would also be unfair to say that he didn't have a hand in it. He certainly did. It'd be kind of like saying who created the Internet. You know, it's, it's an amalgamation of people. It's an evolution over time of many people contributing. But the coatings for the aluminum is really what makes this product and my father was certainly instrumental in getting the coatings to where they are with feedback with Universal. Universal, when they first uh, unveiled this product, they weren't quite as excited about it. And I think people like Roger Loudy and my father uh, really got them excited about the coatings and got them to improve the coatings to the point where they were really commercially viable like they are now. 
Well, folks that are listening to this, I think just from that comment alone should uh, should really ring home, uh, you know, why why these uh, folks at Magnachrome have their act together. Well, uh, hey, Jack, I'll even step back a little bit for the folks at home to say if you have not ever printed on aluminum or on metal, you owe it to yourself to do it first and foremost. It is a um, it can be a very magical experience, kind of those calls that, that Josh was referring to. When you see some of these metal prints, it comes out in almost a three-dimensional view. And it, it's an amazing experience. So if you guys haven't done a metal print, I highly encourage you to do it. And then if you're going to do it, do it with Magnachrome. Well, and we always we always offer samples too, free samples on the house, free shipping. So you really have nothing to lose with at least trying it out. And for a lot of people that have been printing with paper and canvas for many, many years, you know, they have their favorite images and they're used to the way they look on paper and canvas and all these other mediums. When they get that image back on metal, it's like a whole different thing for them. It's this image that they're used to, that they've been used to for a decade, that they've been selling, and they get this back and it's just reminded, it's a totally different experience for yeah. them. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely invite everybody to try it. It, it like i said if you don't like it it's you know on the house but i'm you know pretty confident that you will you know how, how i found you guys as you probably knows um your dad did a workshop with me up on the olympic peninsula it's got to be about five years ago now oh, he, he talks about that all the time he had a wonderful time with you he said that you were just the best instructor well i am uh, so, no he <laughs> no i believe it so uh, no, he, yeah, but he 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 really enjoyed that a lot. He got some wonderful photos from that too. Yeah, uh, that, that's a good year. Yeah, <laughs> we printed on the metal. So yeah, no, that, and 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 you know that uh, that area, um, some of the images that you get out of there are, are pretty high contrast and, and high contrasty type stuff, and that's I think the more contrast in an image, the better it looks on on metal. You know? I, I agree with that. Yeah, with the metal, you're really not going for subtlety. Although I will say subtle images uh, work great with like a satin or a matte finish. But with the metal, the gloss, the white gloss is really what sells this product. And that's really high contrast, full color. That's really what, what, what makes uh, you know, a great image on the white gloss. Can you, can you walk through uh, uh, the process? Um, we'll, we'll go back in a little while and talk about color cal- uh, monitor calibration, that kind of stuff. But yeah. you get a file from a photographer. Can you just walk us through? Um, kind of, you know, what happens? What's the process? It's, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, absolutely. So when we get the image in from a photographer, the first step is, of course, figuring out the resolution and the ratio. That That is a, unfortunately, tricky thing that all printers, regardless of, of what you're printing, have to figure out. And ratio and resolution are a tricky thing to figure, or people don't, don't understand that as readily. Um, but once we figure out the ratio and the resolution, uh, we figure out how we're going to print it, the style, the finish. We print it with our uh, uh, Epson printers. We have an F6200, two, I'm sorry, two F6200s and an F7200. We print the onto we print onto a paper transfer. We bring that paper transfer over to the heat press. We lay the metal down on top of it. We heat the two units together at about 400 degrees Fahrenheit. There's about a ton of pressure being applied. And over the course of about two minutes, the inks that are in the solid phase and the paper, they skip the liquid phase, they go right into the gas phase, and those vaporized gases infuse themselves into a coating on the surface of the metal. And once that happens, we take the metal out, we cut it, we sand it, uh, we mount it, and then it's ready to be shipped. Wow. 
Wow, exactly. How about the how about like the gloss finish over the top? You don't put a finish over the top of it after the. So that's actually done. So that that's a, that's a wonderful question. That's actually done at the distributor for the aluminum. We get blank aluminum from a company called Universal. Uh, Universal is by far the best metal coater out there. There is no one that even is even close to them. Uh, they do a wonderful job with the coating of the aluminum. And it's coated prior, so that there's six finishes. There's white gloss, white satin, white matte, silver gloss, silver satin, silver matte. And those are all done at the actual coating facility. So the metal comes to us blank with the finish already situated. It's a confusing thing for people because they hear the word finish, and they think that's going to be the last thing that we're doing, the, the finish for it. But that's the last thing that Universal is applying with their that's their finish for wow. it. That's, so, the, so the gas can permeate the quote-unquote finish, the outer coating, and embed itself then in the aluminum underneath. It's really embedding into the coating and kind okay. of into the aluminum as well. But, yeah, it's that coating that really makes the magic for this process. It's not – I think a lot of people think that it's directly onto the aluminum. It's really the coating for this that gives it that vibrancy, that luminescent, that the three-dimensional look that you were talking about. In actuality, the prints are three-dimensional. When you're looking at these things, the coating – as thin as it is, it has a depth to it. So when you're looking at this, the light is bouncing through the coating, hitting the aluminum and bouncing back at you. So they really are three-dimensional. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Is, is, there, is there one coating that is kind of a standard uh, that, that most of the prints on, uh, you print on? Or yeah. is it equally uh, divided? Or? The white gloss is by far the finish that we use the most it's really what what makes this product when people are talking about metal prints they're talking about the vibrancy the luminescence all these all these adjectives that we're describing here they're really talking almost exclusively about that white gloss finish um, now some people do great with other finishes but if you're selling and reselling for the most part you're, you're doing gloss mm-hmm. i've done a few satin satin finishes White satin. <coughs> Excuse me. People do, people do almost as well with the white satin as well. Uh, it really it really depends. But it's a it's but, a whole different feeling, and the energy. I mean, you can get a lot of energy out of your prints with a gloss finish, and the satin doesn't have nearly as much energy. And and I think going back to your point, it's for those more subtle images that 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 sort of satin finish might work best, and that's where I've been happiest with it. Yeah, it's also a nice combination between the two. Uh, one complaint we do get with the gloss sometimes is the glare and the reflection, and it's a very fair complaint depending on where you're hanging your image. And the satin does eliminate that issue while still retaining a lot of the feel of the gloss, a lot of the pop of the gloss. So whereas a matte is a 0% gloss and a satin is 50%, gloss is 100%, that, that satin being at 50% kind of is the best of both worlds. And people do do very well with that, I will yeah. say. Um, in terms of impressing a buyer, the gloss is the way to go. But certainly the satin does great with sales and people like that as well. So uh, the, the, the metal prints, uh, folks, are they're, they're permanent, correct? I mean, it, they don't. They don't really age like uh, like uh, regular paper. Well, anything ages over time, but these things are rated at over a hundred years. Uh, so, and uh, originally they were rating them a little bit higher. They've done accelerated tests using muriatic acid uh, with uh, Rochester and Wilhelm, Wilhelm Institutes. And right. depending on how conservative they want to be with the estimations, we we hear anywhere from a hundred hundred to one hundred and fifty years. So it's not it's not going to last 
forever, but long enough that we you can kind of you can pretty much tell people forever. And it's you, you, after a hundred years, you're probably not going to be doing much with that thing anyway. Well, after a hundred years, I don't think any of us will be here, and we won't even, have to worry about that. So, hey Josh, even you know, for that, does that even count for um, you know fading in sunlight? So if there's direct UV light on this thing, it's not going to fade. So that is one of the that is one of the things. Unfortunately, with direct sunlight, direct sunlight will fade anything, anything. Uh, with the exception of like ceramic or, or something right. like that. It just about any printed medium is susceptible to direct sunlight. These will hold up a whole lot better than just about anything else. Uh, we have a sign in our on our door that we've had for about three years. And that gets direct California beating sunlight, and that has not faded at all. Now, I've had people that have had things over in Hawaii that were up in sunlight for a year and a half, and they're saying they're starting to fade a little bit. So it really depends on how much sunlight it gets. It depends on the density of the original image. And it depends on at what point can you see that fading. You know, if a, if a spectrophotometer can read the, the light and tell you it's faded 1%, but the human eye can't detect it until 3%, at what point has it actually started to fade? So there, there's, a, there's so many variables that go into kind of determining at what point it'll fade, how much it'll survive. But you put a paper print out in the sun, you know, after about an hour and a half, it's pretty well toast. Yeah. You get a little print out there for a couple of months, it's perfectly fine. Yeah, the other thing I noticed, uh, Josh, is that it, compared to a regular print, using regular glass, not the non-glare glass. Mm -hmm. There's much less glare off a metal print than there is when it's behind a, a normal piece of glass. And Absolutely, yeah. Unless you're using museum glass, which is right. exorbitantly expensive. I mean, right. museum glass, I want to say, is three to four times as expensive as normal glass. Really, really expensive. It, museum glass will have less glare than these, but for normal glass, absolutely, these will, be, these will beat it out for sure, yeah. So, Josh, let's, let's, let me ask you a little bit about maybe just change tact a little bit and talk about business. I mean, how have you how, – how has the – so I don't even know the right way to ask the question. So we've seen the camera sales go down, you know, iPhone sales and, and iPhone photography gone up a lot. Yeah. How has that impacted or has it impacted your business um, as the photo industry has evolved over the last three years? That's a great question, and there's a, there's a couple of different things with that. First is that you certainly have a larger potential audience for customers. Uh, you know, everybody nowadays is a photographer. Everybody's got a phone, you know, a camera in their phone. And the, you know, five, ten years ago, it really didn't help us much because it was really geared for social media. You know, maybe you could print a five-inch by seven-inch and have it look pretty decent. Nowadays, with some of the iPhones and some of the higher-end uh, phone cameras, you can print a decent print. Uh, we just did one recently for for a gal here, and it was a 40-inch, 30 by 40-inch taken from her iPhone. It wasn't even a newer iPhone. It was like an iPhone 8, and it looked great. Uh, the resolution wasn't as good as a DSLR for sure, but it looked really, really good. So th th there's that end where it is nice that there's maybe more customers, but on the flip side – it makes it a little bit tougher for professionals to sell their photos. And it's, it, to be perfectly honest, it's usually a little bit easier dealing with professionals. They, they know the resolution. They, they know what they're dealing with. So it, it's it, there's there's two two sides to that for sure. I think we've probably gotten more customers, um, but maybe they're a little tougher to manage than, you know, a single good photographer that's that's really selling quite a bit. Um, so I think there's, there's two ends to that for sure. 
So, so Josh, when someone sends you a file, uh, you really wanted it 300 DPI, just correct, just like a regular print, correct? You know, I always recommend that's perfect. That's perfect, and that works out great. And for a photographer that knows what he's doing and has his image sized to the size he's printing it at, and has it at 300, that's that's wonderful. I typically though would recommend just sending me your naturally highest resolution version of that photo before enlarging. We, we can do enlarging here. We can size here. We can do all those things here. Um, if you if you know how to crop, if you if you have the ratio right, if you have everything situated, that's wonderful. Do it on your end. Um, that's great, but we're, we're happy to do it on our end and we use the best software for removing noise, for enlarging, for, for all that stuff. So, um, in terms of sending us a photo, send me what you got in its highest form. All I'm really looking for is the high resolution. Um, and you know, we can work with you from there. Yeah. A lot of times if you don't have that software folks, and you're not using really good, uh, software that will enlarge, it's easy to go from big to small. But going from uh, a normal image to, say, a 40 by 60 image, unless you have great software, there's some of it out there. But like Josh says, he's got that in-house and can do that for you. And unless you use that software, the image is going to not look right. I guarantee it. When you enlarge, there can be gaps in between the pixels. And and that's where some of this high-end software will use some... God forbid I say it, but AI to, to, about to, say. to basically <laughs> yeah. replace and fill in some information so you get seamless transition between all the pixels. Yeah, it, it can be wildly impressive and also extremely disappointing. Uh, you can enlarge an image sometimes and you can go, wow, I cannot believe that it filled in those pixels. I can't believe. And then you enlarge it and you go, oh, I cannot believe it added this. Uh, you know, so you really do have to be careful with enlarging with some of that AI technology. But right. you are right; some of the newer AI uh, enlarging software is just really, really impressive. Well, it's it's kind of like you know when when we look at an image, and let's just say it's a image in the Olympic National Park, but there's one little piece of uh, like a white piece of trash on the ground. Okay, when it's a when it's a eight by ten image, you may not notice that. Yeah. But once you blow it up. You know, and it's a 30 by 40, that little white cup is going to scream. So the bigger, the bigger the, 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 the print, the more, uh, the deficiencies are going to show. So let Magnachrome enlarge if you don't have that software. We, we also take a really good look at images. I have a 36 inch screen and I'll zoom in at three, 400%. I'll spend quite a while looking through images. I, you'd be surprised at how many lens spots you find. Um, even with the best of the best professionals, there is almost always a lens spot hiding in the sky. Um, and they're fine, like you're saying, at 8x10, the lens spot, you're not even going to see it. You blow that thing up to 40 inches, and all of a sudden it's right in your face, and it, 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 we needed to have removed that. So, and yeah, that's the thing we really and, like. And, 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 again, folks, I know it sounds like a commercial for Magnachrome, and I guess in a sense it is, but these guys do that, and – the competition in many, many, many cases, they don't do that. They just take the image and print it. They don't care. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, I know Josh and his his group down there have a lot of pride in what they do. So yeah, uh, no, absolutely. And we, we 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 there's many times where we've printed something big and I had missed a lens spot or I'd missed something and it you know is is the responsibility of the person submitting the image to find it. But if we find it and we even if we printed it, we'll reprint it and, you know, fix that thing. So that's that's kind of how we operate. 
Yeah, I, and a lot of my workshop people have used you, and uh, I have not had one complaint from anybody. So, yeah. well, and, we, and it's also great to be able to. I remember back in the in the uh, film days, John. You know, I used uh, I used a, a guy up in Sault Ste. Marie, uh, Mike Lucier at, at uh, I forget the name of his company, AGX Image. I think he's still around. I think he's still doing. Uh, you know, transfers and stuff, but um, it was nice to be able to call him and talk to a person. Uh, And again, you don't get that everywhere. And that's why uh, one of the reasons I enjoy working with, uh, with you guys, Josh. So, Oh, I was going to jump in and say, and Josh, that's kind of one of the things that we were talking about before we started the program was, was you'll pick up the phone and call the photographer. If there's, if you have a question, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We do. I mean, we do that all the time. It's a lot of, a lot of people will submit images that are either too low resolution or the aspect ratio is incorrect or whatever it is. And we, we just need to work with the person to get the thing right. And most of the time it does require a phone call and we're happy to do that. Yeah. So we, we had talked a little bit earlier, Jack mentioned it around color calibration, you know, and we, we preach all the time to our folks around color calibrating your monitor yeah. How do you respond and how do you deal with color calibration on your end? So it's the color calibration is certainly a tricky thing. We have color calibrated monitors. We use an I1 spectrophotometer. I calibrate the monitor. You're supposed to do it, I think, every three to four weeks. I, I have found that to be reasonably ridiculous. I do it probably once every two months. But we do calibrate the monitors uh, and make sure that we're looking at everything correctly on our end. It is very tricky working with people that don't have color calibrated monitors, as you're suggesting. Where we do very well with that situation, though, is there's typically two groups of people. There's the one group where they are professional photographers. They have calibrated monitors. They know what they're looking for, and they expect what we print, and that's what we give them. And then there's the amateurs that don't have calibrated monitors, that don't know what they're looking for, and they get prints back, and they're just very impressed. So it's usually those two ends. The the third group of people is where we do have a very tough time with, and it's those that don't have calibrated monitors that are expecting it to look exactly like their monitor. Um, and we, we do get that every once in a while. I typically do very well with those people. We just have to usually do a proof or a couple proofs. A lot of the times it will lean all in one direction. Like they'll have their monitors calibrated so that it's too bright. And I'll even make notes about certain customers. And then I'll adjust their images to match what I assume they're going to be looking at on their screen. Because it becomes a very difficult conversation when somebody's comparing their print to their screen. And they go, the print doesn't look like my screen. And my next question, unfortunately, kind of has to be something like, well, what does your screen look like? Because we're not looking at your screen, and if you're not calibrated, it's just a shot in the dark. But typically with a couple of rounds of proofs, I can get situated with what they're doing, and that, that tends to work out very well. Um, in terms of people calibrating on their end, I do strongly recommend at least a minor calibration um, for instance, Mac computers even have a calibrator on board. I'm not saying it's going to get you a great calibration, but it's going to be a whole lot better than whatever random configuration and settings you currently have. Yeah, I, I use the Mac calibrator as well as um, the Spider. I use a Spider um, color calibrator as well to keep mine. I do it about once every two months. Yeah. Do you do you find that there's a huge difference? Because I've I've done some side by side comparisons with monitor calibrations. 
And I have to admit, with our $2,000 i1 Pro 2 spectrophotometer, I don't see a whole lot of difference in the way it calibrates versus the onboard one. It seems to be maybe a little bit better, but do you, do you, do you see a whole lot of difference between not, the two? Not dramatically, no. It's a subtle difference. It's noticeable, yeah. but it's subtle. Yeah, yeah, very you subtle. Know, you know, it pays also to – and you don't have to spend tons of money these days to exactly. buy a good monitor. Yes, yes. That's, you know, that's I, I have two ViewSonic monitors here, and I think both of them are under a thousand dollars. Yeah, you you can, and, get, you can get a really nice monitor for even you know five, five six hundred dollars. I, I have to tell you that I calibrate every month, and these are almost two years old, a year and a half. I've yet to have to make any adjustments. Right out of the box, they were they were perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you have a new monitor and you are running. Even a very very basic calibration, you're, you're going to be really really close to somebody that's running a you know a two thousand dollar spectrophotometer with a five thousand dollar monitor. You're, you're going to be right in the ballpark. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's the so, other thing too with you know talking about monitors versus prints is, you know, I don't know if people realize you know we're with prints we're looking at reflected light. That's how we're processing when we're when we're viewing a print. Yeah. But mm-hmm. off the monitor, right? It's all backlit. Yep. And so the, oh, the way colors will be represented are different. Oh, quite different, yeah. Well, there's also a difference, too, in the way it's printed. When you're looking at a computer screen, you're looking at it in RGB, which has millions and millions of color combinations, whereas when you actually go to print, you're limited to CMYK, which is, you know, had very, very many of those colors are truncated. So it's a difficult thing when you're comparing a print. Now, I will say our prints are very, very close to our monitor, but they're never going to be dead on. Nothing ever will be dead on to the monitor in terms of a printed medium. So, so maybe getting a little too technical, and I don't know the right way to ask this question, but but when you think about the gamut that we can work with in Photoshop, Mm -hmm. um, how you know, and and we I try to work in the widest gamut that I can. You know, Profoto RGB or Adobe RGB. It's got X number of color combinations, and then when you come down to CMYK, mm-hmm. how how much of that gamut are we losing in the print process across all printers, not just Magnachrome, but just the printing process in general? So that's a that's a great question, and I would say that um, it's it's tough to answer because it really depends. There are some printers that have you know ten, twelve colors. Um, and those may may hit some of those gamuts in like a pro photo that uh, we wouldn't hit. Um, I will say for our printing, I think the easiest way to look at it is that Adobe 98, if you imagine that as being a circle, our entire profile, uh, our entire profile fits into that circle. There are no colors outside of Adobe 98. So what that means is that when you're looking at pro photo, at least for our system, you are seeing colors that are simply out of our gamut. It's not doing you any good. Now, if you're only doing digital stuff and you have a nice computer, you're going to get some of those really nice aquas and colors that you wouldn't have in Adobe 98. But if you're, you're ultimately just trying to print, I would strongly recommend just staying with Adobe 98, especially if you're printing onto aluminum. I do get people that are that are, are working with Profoto, and they'll send me an image, and they have some of these spot colors that are just simply not in our gamut. And that, that can be a, a tricky thing to figure. Um, so I do recommend Adobe 98. I, I do think there are probably some printed mediums. Like I've seen some paper prints that have uh, certainly a larger color gamut than we do. And they certainly um, probably have some of those spot colors in Pro Photo. So it depends on what you're printing onto. 
Um, but just be careful with ProPhoto because you will see some colors in your screen that you simply won't see on a printed medium. Yeah, ProPhoto is still in its infancy, really. It's, yes. it's growing, but it's there's, there, not many people actually even print in ProPhoto these days. So, um, yeah. To be perfectly honest, if I get sent an image in ProPhoto, I will convert it to Adobe 98 because yeah. some of the out-of-gamut colors that you see in ProPhoto, and again, if you take a look at our profile, it fits nicely and neatly into the Adobe 98 workspace, meaning that there are no colors outside of it. Um, so, yeah, I actually do convert everything to Adobe 98 if it comes in at ProPhoto, because otherwise those spot colors will just look funky. Josh, let's talk about frames. Um, you know, back when I started with you guys, there were just it was just a hanger, you know, the hanger on the back. Uh, which, you know, stands out about an inch or so, inch and a half, maybe inch from the, uh, from the surface of the wall where the picture's hanging in. It looks quite nice, but now you have, uh, all kind of different frames. Could you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when we first started, you're right. We really just had the basic hanger. Uh, and then we also had at that time we had a Euro frame, but it was really just, a lot of people even call it kind of a box frame where it's just simply a frame behind the image. When you're looking at the print on the wall, you don't even see that frame. Um, right. we, we've since since created quite a few frames. Uh, most of them have been in aluminum, and we've we've had them uh, extruded with um, with a, a couple of different companies. And uh, the, the main one that we're using right now, actually, the one that outsells everything two to one, is the floating frame, which is kind of somewhat similar to the Euro frame, but it's maybe a little bit more edgy. Um, the Euro frame is a little more classic style uh, uh, of a frame, but the floating frame is really the one that is 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 outselling everything else quite a bit. Um, so the Euro floating, and then we also have a shadow frame, um, and that's the frame that's actually around the image. It's about an inch or so, uh, inch inch and a half around the image. Um, that's the first frame that you really see when you're looking at the print on the wall. And then up from that, we have what we call a bevel frame, which is a little bit thicker version. That's by far my favorite frame. If you ever uh, came to my house, it's almost all bevel frames. Uh, and then up from that is the grand frame, which is just a much, much larger, beefier version of the shadow frame. And then we've recently got into the wood frames. Um, and those are those are uh, uh, really interesting with the metal and for certain things, just really extraordinary. You, you do have to have the right spot in your house or wherever you're hanging it for it to fit a wood frame. But if you do, it's really, really a stunning way to go. And we have uh, four wood frames. Yeah, and folks, you can see uh, these frames on Magnachrome's website, which is obviously magnachrome.com. And uh, I have to tell you, I, I wouldn't buy a, a print anymore without the frame once you see it in a frame, some you kind know, of which, nice frame. Yeah. <laughs> when I first started printing metal, I kind of enjoyed not having to futz with frames and deal with frames and colors and mats and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff of the yeah. traditional framing process. Yeah. So that being frameless was sort of a, an advantage to me from a metal printing perspective. But the minute Jack's got a beautiful print, I think out of the Smokies, it's in the shadow frame, I believe, sitting in his front entryway. And the minute yep. I saw that, I was I was hooked on aluminum, having a brushed aluminum in black shadow box frame around a vibrant metal print is such a stunning effect. Really worth it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. You know, when they first kind of conceived of metal prints, I really think. The reason that they did that was because of what you're saying, the rigid substrate. 
It'd be so much easier. You can avoid matting and, and glass and all this other stuff. And then it has the longevity and the, the rigidity and all this stuff. And I think that was largely why metal prints were conceived and why, why they originally, uh, you people came up with them. But the reason that it stuck around and the reason that it's becoming so prolific and so ubiquitous is the look, is just the way that it looks, just that, 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 that wow factor and the frame. And they're not crazy expensive either. I mean, they're, no, absolutely. Once, uh, that was the whole point, kind of, is once you once you mat and frame and get glass with a paper print or, you know, whatever print, whatever medium, you're probably looking at comparable or maybe even more than a metal print. Yeah, I'd say more from, from my experience. A lot more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. depending on, on, on what you're doing. But, yeah, you're probably looking at more by the time you do all that. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's not just putting, a, you know, a picture on a, on, a, on a piece of board. You have to, A, have the right board. Um, it's got to be heat. He pressed, I guess, onto that board with some kind of a glue. Yeah, yeah. And so it doesn't, you know, pop up. And, and by the time you're done with it, I mean, a, 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 I think in a good framer, I bet you that, uh, you know, a, a 20 by 30 is probably, uh, with a normal frame, it's probably going to run you three or $400. Yeah. Well, yeah, it depends. You, you know, you can get something really cheap on there for sure for 100 bucks, but – you could also spend thousands of dollars. Uh, you go to a Roma frame, for instance, and I, I, you know, Roma is is probably the best framing out there. But you can spend two, three hundred dollars a foot on some of their stuff. It's exorbitantly yeah. expensive. I mean, gorgeous, really yeah. gorgeous. But yeah, you can certainly spend a lot in framing. But the problem too is if you don't on, on a normal print that's not a non-metal print, if it's not done right. It, the 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 uh, the moisture that may even come through a wall and yeah. here to could pop that uh, print right Absolutely. up off the board. Yeah. So you have to get it done right. And it, you know, by the time you do, I mean, you can he can almost do you know one and a half or two metal prints at the price of you know one frame print maybe even more i don't even know but well yeah and like you're saying too with with moisture that's one of the beautiful things too is these are 100 percent waterproof uh you could throw these with the frame with the hanger with anything in there into a bath if you wanted and have it in there for as long as you wanted and it would come out perfectly yeah, I've, I've got a metal print hanging in our shower room that gets yeah, all one, steamy and warm and it's it's beautiful yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're wonderful for bathrooms. Yeah, hundred percent waterproof, which is which is which is big. So, and you clean them with. That's that's another great selling point too. Is we use isopropyl rubbing alcohol, um, but you can really clean them with just about anything. Uh, Windex or any kind of home cleaning solution is going to be just fine. Uh, you can even use, and I don't recommend this because you're you're going to hurt your, your <laughs> hands before you hurt the print. But you can you can even use um, uh, nail polish remover. Uh, you know something something strong like that. Um, acetone is what we use here, uh, which is you know the active ingredient in nail polish remover. But you, mm. you can use that in the prints, and they're perfectly fine. Wow, amazing! So, yeah. how, how big a print can you make, Josh? The largest conceivable print right now is four foot by eight foot. We recently built a heat press to accommodate that. So about two months ago, we got into that. Uh, so we can do a four, full four foot by eight foot. I think there's about 10 or 15 people in the country that can do that size. That is the largest, I say conceivable size, the largest possible size right now in that the only metal distributor um, out there that we use anyways is universal. And they come in at four foot, uh, four foot pallets or four foot um, the, the metal is actually is kind of kind of crazy, but it's actually it comes rolled and in these four foot spools, and they use this massively large device to unspool 
this metal and, and get it flat. But but they come in these four foot spools, so four foot by whatever the length is really as large as is possible right now, and they're really only doing eight foot sheets. I've heard talks about the future and doing a five foot by ten foot, but uh, yeah, that's certainly uh, you still, know, that's huge. I couldn't even imagine trying to ship something like that. Oh, it's it's. <laughs> I, I say it's it's a little bit <laughs> that 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 is that is tough. Uh, shipping a four foot by eight foot one is tough. Yeah. Uh, shipping companies are not a huge fan of anything over over eight feet. Um, the freight companies really they start to charge quite a bit more for that. But we we do well with shipping. I use a couple of different brokers. I use about twenty different couriers depending on what, what we're sending and where we're sending it. And we we do pretty well with 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 making the shipping rates not so exorbitant, but. It, it, it can be tricky, certainly getting those out for sure. So you can conceivably do a ninety-six inch or, or eight-foot panorama, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. We've done we've done uh, uh, not a bunch of them yet. We've probably done about ten or fifteen ninety-six inches, and uh, yeah, they, they're it's they're they're tough to do, but they're certainly worth it. Do you guys well, do um, triptychs or diptychs or? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, I, and I actually recommend, too, when people do that, if they send me the full image, I'm actually happy to split it for people. It, to be perfectly honest, I get so many diptychs and triptychs where people have split it themselves and have done it incorrectly that anytime I get a split like that, I actually piece it together in Photoshop before printing it and then split it again myself to make sure that they did the split correctly because I've had, I'd say, maybe 25% of the splits that are sent to me the, the artist made some kind of mistake somewhere along the line. Um, but yes, we absolutely do that. It's a wonder. It's a fantastic look for certain images. It only works with certain images, yeah. um, but it, it really is a great look. It, it's, it seems to be trending a little bit too. Uh, it seems like people are get, doing more and more of those. 10 years ago, I didn't see nearly as many splits. Um, I even see some uneven splits too, which, which are really wild. Um, I have a guy in Alaska that does some really, really cool splits, Todd Salat. And he does some of them are uneven where they're different sizes, but really, really wild and just really, really cool stuff. Yeah, it's fun. I stretched a abstract across a triptych, and it's about six foot, and have that sitting in my living room, and and that that effect of three panels is really kind of a nice artistic effect to go with the artistic image. It absolutely is. Yeah, our front lobby actually we have a uh, it's a nine split. It's uh, nine pieces. Each piece is 30 inches by 30 inches, and it comprises a photo from uh, NASA of the Orion Nebula, which is really, really impressive. You know, the resolution on that thing is like nothing you could ever take, um, and, and it, it's just absolutely gorgeous. So it's 90 inches by 90 inches in total, uh, comprised, you know, nine, nine pieces. But, yeah, it's in our front lobby, and it's a pretty, pretty cool way to do it. That's crazy. Just talk briefly on how uh, your website – answers really everything that we kind of almost everything we discussed here this morning but um how does how, how do you like to receive images uh and all that information this is on the website but maybe you want to just go over that quick yeah so that's that's a great question we're, we're uh, very flexible with receiving images i will jump through whatever hoops i need to to get your image because some people we, we have two uploading uh things on our website if you go to upload images that's a different uploader than if you actually place an order through the website so there's two different uploaders but every once in a while and i i don't know why this is it may be a combination of 
the operating system and the browser or, or whatever. Every once in a while, something just won't work for people. So we have a couple other methods. I use Dropbox, and I can send people a Dropbox file request, and that is usually pretty bulletproof. But we've also had people that do WeTransfer and all sorts of other stuff. I've had to sign up for uh, programs before just to, to receive images, but we're, we're, we're really flexible, and we'll, we'll do whatever we can to get your image in here. And, um, and but certainly we do have the upload. Do you like so. JPEGs, PSDs, TIFFs? What's your... <laughs> I personally prefer PSDs and TIFFs because they're lossless. Um, I myself actually ran into an issue with a JPEG, and I was, I was doing, I was actually calibrating one of our systems, and the JPEG was saving itself. I, and I didn't realize that this would do this, but the JPEG was saving itself and altering the color slightly. And it took me hours to figure out why this thing I could not get the printer to print correctly. And the reality was, for whatever reason, it was actually changing. The colors on the JPEG. I don't know how it, that was compressing it in any way, um, but it, it was. So I, I admit I am a little cautious with JPEGs. I'll absolutely take them, and I'm happy to work with them. But if you have a TIFF or a PSD, that's certainly the best way to go. Yeah. Uh, Josh, your website is amazing, and I would um, encourage everybody to take a look at it. It's magnachrome.com. Uh, and uh, Magna Chrome is in Concord, California, not far from San Francisco and East Bay. Right? And uh, you know, if you're in the area, I need to I need to stop in there one of these days when I'm going through, and I I will. Um, well, we'd love to show you. Got to at least see the process, Jack. I, I got yeah. prints are really incredible, but the process itself for me has always really been like magic. You, you yeah. see the, the print on the transfer. You see it come out of the heat press. <laughs> And it really is, a, in, my, in my opinion, a magical experience and, and really fun to see. So, yeah, we, we'd love to have anybody come out um, and see the process. Yeah. Well, I, I think for those of you who are listening to this, uh, get get that we're, you know, these are good people and you can talk to them. And it's not a, uh, it's not just a, 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 there's a lot of pride goes on uh, with Magna Chrome and they do a great job. Um Josh, I think we're going to offer some uh, some discounts to folks listening to this podcast. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, we are going to be offering uh, anybody that's watching this uh, can get a 10% discount right off the bat. Um, the code is just going to be simply JACK10. So when you uh, put JACK10 in your uh, checkout, in your shopping cart, uh, it will discount everything 10%. Um, also for uh, anybody listening here, the first person, this is just a one time uh, off here thing, but, uh, we're doing for anybody that wants to place a $200 order or more, um, it'd be a hundred dollars off. And, uh, that code would be Jack 2020. So and we'll the put first that in the person, show notes. There's only one of those available. So act fast. Sorry, Jack. No, no, no. We <laughs> need to put that in the show notes, John. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> But act fast, limited time. That's a great offer, Josh. Thank you so much for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What did we miss? Anything? Did well, we cover? I, I, yeah, I just had one other question for you, though, Jack. I know, or Josh, one of, oh, the, yeah. one of the industry trends that I'm seeing a little bit more these days is um, uh, face-mounting acrylics. Um, I think that's probably the biggest one where a lot of people are moving away from metal into face-mounting prints. How would you compare and contrast the two? 
They're both very nice looks. The metal and the acrylic, both gorgeous. Both uh, it ha They certainly both have their advantages and disadvantages. I, I think in general, the acrylic is going to be more expensive, um, but certainly they're both gorgeous looks. Um, I, I, I would say that the metal um, is, I think, going to be, in my, in my opinion, and, you know, I'm the metal guy, so you take what I say with a grain of salt. Of course. But <laughs> naturally, but uh, what I would say is that if you're comparing the two prints side by side, a lot of people are going to like the acrylic more. A lot of people are going to like the metal more. I think it's going to be split pretty evenly down the middle. And uh, what I would just say is that I do think the acrylic is going to be a little bit more out the door for you. But certainly it's a, it's a wonderful look. I would invite anybody to get a metal print and get an acrylic print and have them side by side the same image and see what you think. Um, yeah. Like I said, I think it's going to fall pretty evenly. Half, pe half the people are probably going to go for the metal. Half the people are probably going to go for the acrylic. But it's certainly a really, really nice look. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've drained everything here, Jack. I think we have too, John. And I want to thank Josh for uh, being our guest today. And uh, please, everybody, take advantage of these offers and – Give uh, Magnachrome a try. I, I, I almost guarantee that you're going to love it. Yeah. Um, we will have show notes up. If you have any questions or anything, please give us a call. We, we're happy to walk you through the process. Uh, and then we're also happy to do a free sample, too. Um, if you're worried about it and you're not sure you want to pull the trigger on spending X amount of dollars, just give us a call or, or shoot me an email. My email address is josh at magnachrome.com. And um, I'd love to just get you out a free sample uh, totally on the house. Well, you can't beat that. Yeah, yeah. Can't beat that. Yeah. Well, anyhow, it's a pleasure to have you uh, with us. Maybe we'll have you back, and maybe we'll get your dad on one of these days, too. That'd um, be wonderful. Yeah, we can do one together. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Uh, John, you, John, you're going to put some show notes up. As uh, always. And we uh, do have a website where you can find that information. That is wetalkphoto.com. Our email address, any questions, uh, ideas, uh, what have you, is uh, wetalkphoto at gmail.com. And you can find uh, our podcast. You can subscribe at any major podcast uh, uh, provider and like us and do all that good stuff. It's all, all good. So, again, Josh, thank you. And uh, with that, John, I'm out of here. All right, folks. Thanks <laughs> thank so, you much. so much. Thank you I appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it, Josh. Thank you. All right, folks, have a great day and stay tuned for more episodes. See ya. Okay. See you later. Thank you, guys. All right. Take care.